Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And today, it's our last episode of July. Oh my gosh. 231. We're closing out the month. Pity. Yeah. July flew past. Yeah, I mean, it, it flew past, but also, I mean, it has been a chock full month. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you think back to to where we started with july 4th uh weekend which was actually july 1st you know that's also why it's been so long Mm -hmm. um and we did all the president's men and and do the right thing all the way up to now and it's been a pretty dense month of uh of content i mean it it's uh how many weekends has it been now I guess this is the the fifth weekend of the month yeah so it'll be like 10 movies when it's all said and done Boy, howdy. Um, and I've really quite enjoyed um, the the experience. We've been doing summer movies all month long, you know, with sort of heat and, and summer as our, as our focal, focal point, sort of tying all of these films together. And that has included sort of every definition of heat. Mm-hmm. You know, literal heat metaphorical heat sexual tension you know sexual heat uh the heat is in the the cops you know it's it's really run all sorts of levels and because we're big horror fans here at film buds it only felt appropriate to go and do some sort of summer horror because there is a lot of like daytime summer horror out there you know um, but one of the big questions was what to do. I mean, we had already done Friday the 13th as a franchise, which definitely has a lot of, of heat. Yeah. Summer camp, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had already, we're, we're, we're planning on doing Texas Chainsaw at some point. Um, so that was out of the question. Uh, and so... We kicked around a few different horror ideas, actually, and then we finally landed on, and I can't remember why I picked it, honestly. Um, we finally decided that we were going to do a Piranha double feature. Um, and I really have no idea where the hell it came from. Well, you had made, like, a list, and yeah. I remember, like, narrowing things down. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember, like, what motivated Piranha to be on that list. Like, I, I really mean, don't remember what I was scrolling through where... I think it, it might have been, like, Summer Horror or something like that. And it had shown up just in a generic sort of search. hmm And so I was like, okay, sure. Like, I've never seen that one. And then I was like, you know what? If we're going to do this one, I know that there's a remake. We should probably go back and do... Well, this was perfectly accidentally planned. Yeah, as as always. Um, <laughs> as always, indeed. It's a perfect accident all of the time. Here at Film Buds. <laughs> Welcome. It's, it's always accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's always sunny in Philadelphia. So... Uh, you know, that's, that's sort of, you know, the, the reason that we decided to do today's episode. We're doing both of the Piranha films. Um, the first one is from, from 1978. Uh, the second one is, which is not the actual second one. There are multiple Piranha sequels. Um. We need to watch all of them, number one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 
especially the sequel to Piranha 3D, our second film. Uh, the sequel is Piranha 3 Double D. <laughs> uh, already, already signed me right on up for that one. Um, sounds like a blast. <laughs> um, so that's what we're we're doing today, and I I wasn't familiar with either of these films, um, other than like I remember seeing the trailer for the Piranha films, um, and eventually learning about them a little bit, you know, just sort of in general. But, like, I had never seen a single Piranha film in my life. Never had really had the urge to see the Piranha films. Um, but but that's what, what sort of brought us to this point, was uh, sort of curiosity and uh, an appropriate theme. That's right. And so, I guess, since we're talking about piranhas and you know like this time last year we also did a whole like shark episode yeah we did um jaws Jaws the shallows and flipper yes yes oh my gosh i forgot (laughs) all about flipper yes with elijah wood yeah we did a whole triple feature ah yes him smoking that cigar because he was an adult that's right and so (laughs) um we we of course, are now doing Piranha, so I thought that it would be worth, I guess, asking the question now that we've done some some horror of the deep. Um, what do you find scary about the water? Um, how big it is. Okay. Um, there's, you know, it's obviously it's not our environment, um, so we have a lot of disadvantages when going there. You can't breathe underwater. It's It's deep, it's vast, and it's got a lot of things living in it. Um, and not all of them are friendly. So, I don't know. I've never been, like, a huge fan of, of going to the beach, um, or doing, like, water sports of any, of any sort in the, in the ocean. Just because, like, I don't really like bugs. And, like, imagine now being, like, (laughs) it's, it's the same kind of feeling for me. It's just, you know, unknown things, it hitting you, touching you. I don't, I don't want anything a part of it, really. <laughs> Fair um, enough. But I feel like that's why I, other people as well don't really like going to the ocean. It's just because, like, if the worst case scenario happened, like, I'm stranded in this thing that can kill me just be- by breathing it. No, absolutely. I understand that. Uh, I think water, in all of its variations, can be you know, turn terrific. You know, I think water, because of its malleability, is one of those forces that can perpetually be used in, you know, sort of positive and negative depictions, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think when it comes to water in relation to horror, you know, I think that when it comes to to lakes and bogs and swamps, it's the, the murkiness... And almost a certain level of claustrophobia associated with it, uh, but also with you know lakes. Often side that oftentimes it's that sort of um, familiarity, you know, of this of the space turned evil. Um, and it's not being able to really see what's in there, you know. Well, yeah, you know, um, you can't see at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You can't even see an inch down, man. That stuff is dirty. Whereas you know rivers, and some of that, it's it's that fear of the suffocation of the being sucked under the, the ripping, you know, current. And, um, 
and I think that it's probably more associated with some of that, sort of the raw power of it, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the inability of escape from it. Uh, I think when it comes to the ocean, it's almost starting to get more akin to a similar fear set as essentially sci-fi horror, which is, uh nebulous surroundings seemingly infinite space between you and safety um the unknown aspects of it like you talked about um and so i think that it's like you said all of that um but then also of course you can you can convert that around into something like a snowstorm you know and it's it's that fear of again that isolation the power of it Um, but also kind of, again, that sort of unknowable, uh, space of where you are. It's kind of like a claustrophobia because now you're, you're back to, to not knowing where you are again because you're just sort of surrounded by it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I think that's kind of all of the ways in which, like, I think water can kind of cinematically be sort of terrifying. Well, yeah, and I mean, um, you know these obviously are horror movies based in a in a wet environment but um a water has also been used as like a catastrophic event in so many movies as well Tidal wave yeah exactly you know um in poseidon adventure where it knocks over the boat or um the in, iceberg yeah i was like in titanic where you know not only is it the iceberg but it's also like all of this rushing water this filling water this needing to escape this room before you know the, the air is gone and i'm sucked down mm-hmm. with the boat you you know, there's so many different ways that, like, just being in this environment can be unsettling, even if the movie itself isn't supposed to be a horror movie, you know. Water can still be the bad guy, but it's usually, to your point, a lot of water. Absolutely. You know, it's not like a rainstorm is necessarily scary. You can put scary things in it, but, like, the rain itself isn't necessarily that bad. No, absolutely. Um, and so it's 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 pretty interesting. And, you know, I was just thinking about sci-fi horror and, and sort of, you know, ocean-based horror. Look at James Cameron. He's done The Abyss. He's done Aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at Jaws. Look at Alien. Mm-hmm. Structurally, you know, we've got more and, and less characters sort of going on, but not dissimilar. It's a force of nature. It's man versus nature. Well, yeah. Some of the other themes at play are different, and some of the dressing is different. But like the the overall sort of yeah, the reason it works at both levels is because they're tapping into the same idea. Well, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's also um, you know an environment that is foreign mixed with um, some kind of predator. Yeah, an ultimate killing machine. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like in the ocean, I think because people are less familiar and less steady in the ocean as just a whole, you know, we can, we can just pull on the fact that, like, sharks are scary, you know, piranha are scary, whereas in space, space is an infinite thing that we don't know, and you can be more creative, I think, like, nobody's gonna just, like, make up a sea monster that also isn't steeped in lore as well. No, absolutely. Uh, and I guess with that, you know, I was, I was sort of questioning what I wanted to use as my lead into the discussion. Mm -hmm. You know me, I had to do something. You had to learn something. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) And so I decided I would do two different things. They're both very brief. That's the the benefit for y'all. It's a fun episode today. Woo! Uh, 
I wanted to do a little bit of discussion on sort of the misconception of predators. Delightful. And also a little bit of history on the Aquarina. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to learning about the Aquarina. You should be. So, uh, for a little bit of background, of course, you know, animals in general, including big game and predators, have been used in storytelling since the practice of humans telling stories began. Mm-hmm. It's... It makes sense that it was they told stories based on the world around them, and so they conceptualized everything about their world with animals. That's why there are myths of humanity living on the back of a great turtle. Mm-hmm. They knew that there was the ocean, they knew it was a giant landmass, and so it was a great turtle. Uh, and man versus nature is, of course, one of the classic underpinnings, like we already talked about, of story. Mm-hmm. Moby Dick. Uh, any story of a great hunt from classic, uh, you know, tribal cultures and things like that. Um, what's that movie called? The Revenant, where it's him against the, the bear? Yes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And so, it's, it's primordial. Mm-hmm. It's baked in. Because that was also our first foe on a certain level. One of our first others were animals. Until we mastered animals and started treating ourselves like animals. And so, we'll get to that. And so, <laughs> overall, though, in, in the course of history, predators have now received kind of a terrible reputation mm-hmm. as vicious man-eaters, you know, uh, mindless killing machines, yeah, that sort of thing. Something to constantly be afraid of. And, like, obviously, it's a predator, you should approach it with the amount of respect and fear that that title brings. But But there are also people who have just the entire misconception about what they should be concerned about on a certain level Mm -hmm. because of that. And so I just wanted to throw out some sort of general information. So um, As a general rule, if we're talking about an animal that we associate most with, like, a cinematic predator that also kills the most people per year, it's snakes. Like, um... Oh, just by bites? Yeah. Copy. Probably also some constriction, I would imagine, in there. Oh, yeah, with um, big snakes like anacondas and um, whatnot. It's probably far fewer than the bites, but... I think it's probably all venom-based. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody trying to get a snake out of wherever, um, their garage or something. Exactly. There are some estimates that um, vary, but it's somewhere in the ballpark of about 50,000 to 100,000 people per year annually from snake bites. Um, The actual greatest killer... Uh, of people annually are mosquitoes. Oh, that makes sense because they carry diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, for context on some of the great, and like some of those estimates are like half a million. Okay. For mosquitoes. Wow. Um, <laughs> half a million people. Oh. Honestly, what have mosquitoes done lately? We can get rid of them. Uh, but. Let's talk about some of the great cinematic predators that people probably think of. Mm-hmm. Sharks. Yes. Six kills per year. Wow, okay, okay. 
Wolves. Mm-hmm. Ten per year. Amazing. Lions. Uh-huh. Twenty-two people per year. Mm. Uh, crocodiles. The second most after snakes at 1,000 per year. Um, that's all those people living in, in, in gator territories. Well, and they could go into the ocean. You know, some crocodilians can go into the ocean, some are salt water. Um, you also have Nile crocodiles. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're pretty far spread. Mm, no, yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, They're in they Asian countries as well. They haven't changed much since the, since they were made, so, mm-hmm. you know. They're another perfect apex sort of killer, like the shark. Yeah. Um, so, let's talk about some things that kill people, uh, more than some of the other big game animals, or big predators that I just listed. Uh... Hippopotamuses kill 500 people per year. Ah, that's insane! Oh my god. I mean, I knew that they were really dangerous. Um, You know who else kills 500 a year? Is it dolphins? It's elephants. Oh. Bananas. I think that that's really interesting that they're also kind of like the same size and generally in the same areas of the world. And one of the other top killers of uh, humans in the world tapeworms oh mhm about 700 people annually from tapeworms fascinating uh so with that in mind um attacks are more common than fatalities mhm you do get a lot of attacks and i'm sure the attacks are very traumatizing but um, you get far more attacks than fatalities in general. Mm-hmm. Um, piranha attacks uh, are definitely more common than piranha fatalities. And typically, piranha-associated deaths are attributed to secondary factors, i.e. you got bit in some sort of way and you drown. Okay. So... Um, apparently this year, which I guess is a sort of freakish year because it was big enough to get noteworthy sort of news attention, supposedly four people have died and 20 have been bit. From piranha? Mm-hmm. Wow. But think about that. It's less than sharks. It's less than lions. It's less than elephants. It's far less than tapeworms. Uh, so... We're going to make the the new horror icon be tapeworms. Tape <laughs> it's perfect body horror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Worms emerging from your body. I mean, like, we can go and we can really start talking about, like, different kind of parasitic worms. I mean, there are graphic content warning, I guess, a little bit right here. There are some that come out and um, exit from the rectum mm-hmm. and will feed on, like, dead skin and that sort of thing. On, on that outer layer, and then they go back inside That's when they're done. That's when you need done. to get one of those, like, <clears throat> those professional flushes to your system. It's really common among infants because um, babies will go and they'll end up eating something or touching something that had some sort of, you know, parasite on it. They consume it. Then they go and they, like, will touch their butt because it itches. 
Mm-hmm. And then they'll go around because they're a baby and they touch other things. And then babies in the playroom go. And this is why it's important to disinfect things. Um, and so it's really common among infants. And one of the, the key ways is like if you ever see your... Here's a fun fact for you. Haha. Uh, if you ever see your kid really like scratching at their, their butt like a lot. Like abnormally weirdly amount. Um, just go and put like a little tiny piece of scotch tape right there while they sleep one night and in the morning peel it off won't hurt the baby at all but you'll capture them and you'll be able to tell or not if they have parasites fascinating a little fun fact for you wow mm-hmm. weird um <laughs> so but like this is perfect body horror territory no for sure for sure and it's also something that we haven't done yet to yeah. my knowledge um so so you know, food for thought mm-hmm. four piranhas uh, four piranha deaths this year. Again, some of them are attributed to the person being bit in the face and then being disoriented and drowning. Mm-hmm. So it's not even that they were, like, chewed clean by the piranha. It's that these piranhas came up, fucked them up in the face a little bit, and then they ended up drowning, which is horrifying and tragic. Like, I don't want to downplay that in any kind of way. But but it's not like the, the way that they're being portrayed in, in Hollywood. No, not at all. And not the way that I think most people... I mean, four. Four in a year. Um, and a lot of those are because they drowned later. They could yeah. have survived. I mean, uh, currently, if you would like to know, one of the other number one killer of man after mosquitoes... Is man. Is man. We <laughs> average just under half a million a year. Fantastic. We keep ourselves very regulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's just a little bit of perspective on predators, you know, and what it means to to live in a world that has predators. Like, truly, um, I, my dad tells me, or used to tell me this story, um about a guy that he met back when he was, you know, doing a lot of camping and hunting and that sort of thing in the Texas wilderness. And he met this guy while he was out camping one day and he had a gun with him and he was like, oh, is that for the animals? And he's like, yeah, but it isn't for the four-legged one, it's for the two. Uh, And it was because he had had enough, like, sort of run-ins with people that had made him... Feel uncomfortable. Nervous enough that he felt like he had to be armed. That's bananas. Uh, And so... I mean, like, that's, that's, it's just really sad. Like, I don't doubt that that is completely how that man felt because people are, they suck. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just sad that, like, we live in a world where that's just like a, no, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. You you live your best life. You you stay safe out there. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I'm sure that some people would definitely call that paranoid, but also, like, at a certain level, you know, if you live in certain places, you know, the the idea of having a firearm for protection isn't, 100% completely outside of the unbelievable. No, Within yeah. reason. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, Within reason. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's also just a really... And honestly, this is also where I get my, my long-held belief that I think that most serial killers are probably some sort of nature-creating an apex predator amongst an apex predator. Nature does have a way of typically trying to course correct mm-hmm. and you look at how explosive our population has got uh and the truth is these a lot of sociopathic you know sort of people are are born with the likelihood of outcome 
Mm-hmm. It's not a guarantee, but there is a certain level of a genetic factor at play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, it has to come from, from sort of somewhere. Uh, and, and that sort of, I think, is, is my theory, is that I think it's, it's the human population sort of creating its own self-regulating predator. Mm. Well, I mean... We are our number one killer next mm-hmm. to tapeworms, pretty much. Mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, excuse me. We are our number one killing force next to a bug that is, is a nuisance. Mm-hmm. So, I I mean, I think that... I think that your theory isn't far off from, like, reality at that point. You know, the numbers are here. <laughs> and no, they are fair. pointing in a direction that says, maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's the, the one sort of really very different but interesting perspective on history. The other one is some history on the Aquarina. So, (laughs) the Aquarina is the center point for, um, uh, Piranha. It's kind of our Jurassic Park with the, with the Indominus Rex approaching, you know? Um, and... The big surprise, I think, for most people would be that the Aquarina was real. It is not a set. It is not a joke. Uh, the Aquarina was a real place. The place that this whole thing went down at? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. But I mean, also, this movie was made in 78. So mm-hmm. that totally makes sense that they were like, we're just going to use this real place. So here's a little bit of history about this fascinating... You can still go to where it stood but it's no longer there no okay uh but this is some history on the aquarina so <clears throat> aquarina springs or the aquarina center was an amusement park in san marcos texas san marcos is just outside of the austin area and it's located on spring lake which is a part of the edwards aquifer but it's now known as the meadows center for water and the environment uh, the Aquarina, at its prime, averaged 350,000 guests annually. Wow. One of their star attractions were synchronized dancers that you could watch in an underground uh, theater where you were watching them through a giant pane of glass as they performed underwater. Like the like the mermaid things, you know, that you can go to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. So uh, that was one of their star attractions, and their dancers were known as, their synchronized swimming dancers were known as the Aquamaids. <laughs> Terrible name. <laughs> uh, people would call them mermaids, and they would apparently correct them and say, no, I'm an Aquamaid. <laughs> Um, they shouldn't have. And it was actually designated by people outside, of course, that area as the mermaid capital of Texas. Fantastic. Um, the park opened in 51 and operated until 1996. Wow, good job. Many of the attractions uh, including uh, included the underwater theater. They also had a gondola system. A gondola! God, they, we need to reopen this place. They had a fake volcano. Yeah, they did. That was also where the uh, green room was. For the for the, for the, the performers. <laughs> <laughs> they, 
they also had a little, like, faux ski mountain lodge thing. No, stop it. This thing yes. just sounds like Great Wolf Lodge, except for better. Imagine... Yeah, I said it, Great Wolf imagine Lodge. Imagine a resort set up around a lake where you got to kind of do, like, a 60s jet set sampling of everything that the world had to offer. You know, a volcano... You know, uh, a ski lodge. It's like going to itself. Disney, except it's like, look at nature. Uh, the spring network that the Aquarina was a part of, however, is ultimately considered a critical habitat. Amazing. Under the Endangered Species Act, as it houses multiple endangered species, including the Fountain Darter, the Texas Blind Salamander, the San Marcos salamander, the San Marcos gambusia, and the uh, plant that is specific to the area known as Texas wild rice, which is a type of wild grass. Interesting. Uh, and apparently the San Marcos gambusia, gambusia, I'm not sure on the pronunciation. I should have looked it up. I apologize, dear listener. Uh, has supposedly not been seen since 1983, leading some to believe that it is actually extinct. Oh, no. So, that's a little bit of background on the real-life Aquarina. Uh, and I think that it did close partially uh, due to its its status as a protected habitat for these species. So, all of fair. these things have been gutted now. The volcano is gone. Uh, the gondola network no longer remains. The lodge is gone. They even sealed the underground theater. Oh. Um, and so it is now a nature preserve, and they study and monitor the area. And you can also go there uh, in certain programs uh, to become a certified diver. Because the place that you end up swimming around is that lake, uh, because it has good depth, and so it allows you to go and do a good uh, run for your scuba certification. And so that's one of the ways that you can go and visit uh, the ghost of the Aquarina. Oh my gosh. See, um, I think I still, I want it to be more like the um, abandoned amusement park in Spirited Away. I want it to be like that, where, like, everything's still there, but it's, like, overgrown now. Some of the buildings do still stand, and you can see where nature has overtaken them. Oh! It's just a lot of the big structures have been removed to help improve nature, but not everything could be removed. Okay, okay. I want to see its skeletons. I want to see the You can definitely still see that, like, it used to be a thing. Yeah, that's what I want Especially because there are, like, pits, Mm -hmm. you know, and, like, carve-outs where... It used to be here, mm-hmm. but it's not. Oh, interesting. It's going to look like The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. Um, so, without any further ado, I guess we should go ahead and start talking about the movie itself. Yes, yes. So, Piranha came out uh, August 3rd, 1978. It runs an hour and 34 minutes. It is rated R. Uh, It's directed by Joe Dante. It is written by Richard Robinson and John Sayles. Um, The cast includes Bradford Dillman, 
as Paul Grogan, Heather Menzies as Maggie McKeown, Kevin McCarthy as Dr. Robert Hoke, Dick Miller as Buck Gardner, Barbara Steele as Dr. Mengers, and Bruce Gordon as Colonel Waxman. And the plot is when flesh-eating piranhas are accidentally released into a summer resort's rivers, the guests become their next meal. Dun-dun-dun! Uh, and so, without further ado, dear, what did you think of Piranha? I really enjoyed this movie, honestly. I had never heard of any of these movies before, um, before this entire endeavor, um, but also, like, I didn't grow up watching horror, um, other than really, like, Jaws truly was probably the, the horror movie of choice in my household. Um, but yeah, no, I had never heard of this, like, knockoff version of, of Jaws that's, that's taking itself very seriously, um, and I think that that's the, one of the best parts about it as well, is, like, you, you have such a goofy premise, um, with any of movies like this, and to find some way to, like, make it serious and make it, um, real, you know, like, I, I completely believed that there was this man who was a scientist who was with a government organization to make, you know, medically enhanced piranha to to be used during Vietnam. Like, I totally, I totally got that. And, and you know, it just happened, as they always do, be near something that th- these kids were hiking to. And they were like, let's go skinny dipping in this place that's off limits. And then they're our first casualty. And I'm like, already, all right, okay, let's, let's, let's do this whole ride. Like, okay, like, I'm fine with all of this. Continue. Yeah. And, like, I, I loved the, the whole idea of, of, um, Maggie Mc, McGowan, mm-hmm. um, going and, you know, being this, this really weird reporter woman. P.I. Yeah. Figure. Who's like trying to figure out what happened to these. They want me to investigate. The parents want me to find out what happened to their children. Yeah, I don't know why they chose her, but like, you know, good. Everybody has to start somewhere. Um, and she was enthusiastic about it. So Honestly, know? probably most people were like, they died on the mountain. Click, you know. No, honestly. And she was like, I don't think that that's right. And she was like, you know what? Even if they died on the mountain, you deserve to know that they died on the mountain. Uh, you know? Yeah, really go get her energy. <laughs> um, she reminds me a lot of, like, Nancy in season two of Stranger Things, where it's just like, oh, yeah, that's you know, she's really trying hard, but, like, maybe the world hasn't given her enough shots yet. Newswoman Nancy. Yeah, exactly. Newswoman Nancy, indeed. Um, and no, I, like, I really enjoyed the cast. I thought that everybody was really interesting. Um... And for, like, what it is as a movie made in 1978, I thought that it was uh, pretty scary. You know, they had some really interesting shots. I thought that they used, um, you know, what they had, obviously, available at the time really effectively. Um, We never got too many looks at the genetically enhanced Parada, but I think that was probably for the best because you know that they were just puppets of some sort. Um, I imagine that they were honestly, um, I imagine they were all on sticks. Oh, probably. And it was just a whole bunch of people, probably, with, like, two at a time. Mm-hmm. Just, like, just doing a whole bunch of just that. No, yeah. But I would definitely, um... I was I'd... waving my hands like a moron. <laughs> he was. He was very, very vigorously. I was, I was 
I was airboxing, I that, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. Like those old, uh, that old 80s toy where you had to, like, punch Rock them. Rock'em, sock'em robots, That's exactly yeah. what your fists were doing, yeah. Rock'em, sock'em robot hands. Yeah. <laughs> this is an audio medium, so I thought I would <laughs> paint a picture with words. I'm sure they appreciated it. I'm sure all of the listeners appreciated <laughs> all of this, you know. It really paints the whole picture for mm-hmm. you. Um, but no, yeah, I thought that this movie was great. I really, um, enjoyed, like, the whole, the whole journey with it. Um, all of the, I thought that there was some fun character development. The, the deaths were pretty meaningful, um, for the most part until obviously you have to have your climactic scene at the end where, like, there's a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of piranha. Yeah, essentially the, the big final moment is really the equivalent of the, the mid-movie bloodbath in Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. You know, Jurassic World uses that as, like, your mid-movie point, and your big final battle is, like, the showdown with the Indominus. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie saves that big, climactic, the the predator finally gets to the park as mm-hmm. the end point. Mm-hmm. No, and it's, it's just a really fun ride. Honestly, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, I didn't recognize a lot of people in this movie, but it's also kind of like a weird time frame in, in history for me, you know, of, of movie history. So, um, but, but honestly, I don't mind seeing new faces well, and in it's, stuff. This is also, I guess we should also dump, jump into this a little bit, if I may. Yeah, sure. You know, this is also from Roger Corman. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, uh, for some people listening in, for others, they'll go, yeah, I already knew that, you idiot, that's why I'm listening. Um, <laughs> and so, Roger Corman was, like, the king of B-movie productions. Mm-hmm. You know how, uh, James Gunn always talks about his trauma years, where he mm-hmm. was at Troma Studios churning out B-movies? Mm-hmm. And Lloyd Kaufman and all of that? Kaufman is essentially of the same vein as Corman. Okay. Roger Corman churns him out. I mean, if you go and you look at his IMDb, I think that he has like 500 credits listed to his name. Woohoo! And it's because he was churning them. His studio just cooked these things up and burned them, you know? Uh, and, and that's how he made gold, was being a premier B-movie studio producer. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little bit of the background there, and that's also, no offense to any, any of these good people, also why they're a little bit less familiar to you is because we are watching something that is purely fully made from the B and C cut of things. Yeah. You know, and this is also where Joe Dante, we know Joe Dante, of course, from Gremlins and Small Soldiers, and some of his later work, but this is also where Joe Dante as a director is cutting his teeth. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, Piranha is right up there with Gremlins. Yeah. Small creatures causing mayhem. Small soldiers. Small creatures causing mayhem. I think he, he likes, he, he has a type. And it's puppetry. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you get known for things. Mm-hmm. You can be typecast as a director mm-hmm. on a certain level. Yeah. And so, um, that's kind of, I guess, some of that back lore around that. 
Roger or Bradford Dillman, our Paul Grogan, uh, is a wonderful poor man's Warren Beatty. Oh yeah, he's yeah. an incredible poor man's Warren Beatty. He looks like him. He's got like the performance of Beatty down. Like he's he's perfectly a poor man's Warren Beatty, and I mean that in the most uh, uh, admiring way possible. I thought that he did a great job with with what he had. Um, no, to your point, I really enjoyed this movie a lot as well. One of my favorite tense moments was, and it felt very horror video game, I felt on a certain level, was when um, the blood is seeping through the body through the raft. And the piranhas are chewing apart the ropes and they've got to keep on moving off the section that's falling away and they finally realize, we got to get the body off the raft, you know? And it, it felt like a quick time event, you know, on a certain level. And no, so, yeah, and then it, that, that didn't work, you know, and they're still getting attacked and, you know, yeah. oh gosh, what's going to happen We've next? We've got to get the body off, you know? It's He's great. still alive! Dump him anyway! You know, yeah, like just... it was... <laughs> it was great stuff. Um... And so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh-huh. Um, one thing that I did want to ask you was, um, you know, it's on a certain level that parody of Jaws. How well did you feel that it parodied Jaws? Because actually I have a, a very particular opinion on where I think it got its structure, and I don't think it's Jaws. Okay, so um, this Piranha film, I do not other than it being based in water and there being some... Someone who's like, we can't close down the lake. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> other than those things, um, no. This isn't this isn't a Jaws movie. This is kind of Jaws in the sense where they were like, we're gonna take a razor-sharp creature of the deep and make a movie around it. And we were like, alright, that's the thing that makes it like Jaws. But, um... Even even at the end, you know, like, there's, like, military interaction in this movie and stuff that's, like, definitely not happening in Jaws at all. Jaws is, like, really, you know, they have the whole boat scene near the end. That just doesn't happen in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, at all. Um, what movie do you think this movie is more riffing off? I think <laughs> that it is structurally almost identical to a kind of George Romero zombie movie. Okay. Oh, We've got okay. the government site where there was the testing and oh, the leak and gosh. the creation. And now the man-eating thing is on the loose. And the government is trying to downplay it while our, our group of of survivors are trying to save the town or what have you. But nobody believes them you. because the thing is just so outrageous. How could And then finally it happening? gets there at the end of the day, you know, and, it's and too they're, late they're and too they're... late. But they're able to still save the day, you know, by killing the horde. Or, or so did they. they? Yeah, or so they think. And there's the evil government person who who wants the experiment to continue. It's just a Resident Evil movie. And so it's it's kind of like the original George Romero, The Crazies, which is like, you know, military plane goes down into water, leaks into groundwater, causes zombie plague. Mm-hmm. Similar concept here. Mm-hmm. And so I think that really it's following more of like a, a George Romero zombie structure than Jaws. I think that that's fair, but I think that also like, I think that that's a solid structure as well. Like, oh no, it works. Yeah, no, it works perfectly because even in this context, like it doesn't matter what the thing is, what the, you know, the, the context is, you know, the, the base beats, the, the chapter headings, 
mm-hmm. don't have to change. Which is ultimately also, I guess, if you boil it down, kind of the same idea at play with um, Jurassic World. Right? It's man-made cataclysm. Because they thought force that... Force yeah, of nature. They thought that they could control this thing. On a, on a headwind toward man. We even get the paramilitary dudes getting wiped out in Jurassic World. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also like this, you know, these things are being trained to be used in a military fashion also like, like this movie, mm-hmm. you know? No, yeah, I'm, and we get our bloodbath, yeah. No, for sure, for sure. Um, but no, I think that it's 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 definitely solid, but I, I agree with you. I think that it is more of that kind of structure than like a Jaws structure because also like other than also, also other than this movie being, um, you know, I guess written in in a more like play i guess fashion like jaws like it, it, it's a really script heavy movie you know we're we're talking a lot they're on that raft for a long time really oh god that scene with the old man talking to his dog it was so funny it was absolutely hysterical i was like this is just a really good moment to watch this character die um and i just i was like man you know you don't have scenes like this anymore. We cut, mm-hmm. like, straight to the, like, the nitty-gritty of it. We don't just have this moment of this drunk man out here fishing, chatting with his dog about, you know, how the dog he, he used to have. And wasn't this story funny? And why aren't you paying attention, attention to me? This is exactly how people talk to their animals. Well, or you should. Um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they are people. Thank you. <laughs> But no, yeah, I really, I really just enjoyed the the heck out of this movie a lot. Um, I really don't have any like major notes about this movie. It was just like it was just a really solid um, horror movie, a la the kind of scariness, I guess, of like a Jaws. Mm-hmm. And you know, like it's it's solidly a B movie as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what you're coming for. And it's good. Yeah. Um, so, how would you compare it? I did mention, of course, Joe Dante's other films. How would you compare it to, if you had to rank this amongst, like, let's just do Gremlins and Small Soldiers. Just rank the three. Oh, I I mean, you know me. I love Gremlins. I think that Gremlins is a, is a great movie. Um... Yeah, I mean that's like a childhood classic for you. Yeah, um and and small soldiers. I think that Oh, this is difficult. I think that this of the, his of his oeuvre um is a very for adult mm-hmm. audiences where like the other two aren't have a fanciful nature. Yeah, they're 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 based around, you know, the one is our our main character is uh, this teenage boy you know, who likes this girl and who gets this pet. And then Small Soldiers is all about, you know, this kid who gets this toy, you know, and, and, and shenanigans ensue after. It's a warfare thing between these two, you know, different types of toy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that where this leads into those is like the the idea of orchestrating this, this like organized Pandemonium. Chaos. Yeah, this chaos, you know. How... How do we elongate this moment by not repeating ourselves, but but still making an organic flow of chaos 
through this thing you know where does the what's the next scene and the scene after that you know how do we continue to make an entire movie based off of piranha or these these gremlins you know how do i make a full structure out of this and i think that honestly that with that i think that this falls really nicely in there um i think that it's funny though that he keeps like getting you know with time a younger and younger audience i find that fascinating um but at the end of the day, it's almost like the same type of person, mm-hmm. you know? No, for sure. Um, I guess, I mean, if I had to, like, rank them, I don't know. I I feel bad, but I feel like Piranha's going to be last because I really enjoy Small Soldiers, a weird, twisted movie. Um, and, yes. like, I love Gremlins, you know? But I think that this movie is, is still really solid, no, yeah. In there, but also if you hadn't told me that this was a Don, John uh Joe Dante movie, I wouldn't have really noticed Yeah, cuz I'm not sure that it has his same I'm not sure that he was given the same, you know, to your point, the same level of creative freedom to get into all of the Joe Dante shenanigans that he can get into. No, yeah, and like I think that he would have wanted to to show Do off more. Yeah, the it, we would have probably gotten more glimpses of what the piranha actually looked like and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of work goes into into his puppetry well, and, and his I think, figure work. I think Joe Dante's movie if he could have made it however he wanted to probably would have ended up looking a little bit more like the movie that we're about to review. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think it would have been a little bit closer to that. And I think the the DNA for that is is here. It is in here. It is completely. But it's, it's a different beast, but we'll get to that. Yes. Um, so if you, um, ultimately for me, small soldiers is my favorite, but that's because, I saw Small Soldiers as a child. That was my first Joe Dante movie. I didn't see Gremlins until Being an we adult, reviewed yeah. it. Um, and so even though I, I love Gremlins, I do actually think that Gremlins is, no offense to Piranha, a little bit better than Piranha. I love Piranha, though. Like, I don't want anyone to think that me ranking it last amongst Joe Dante movies is in any way a reflection of, like, it being a bad movie. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimately fun experience i really enjoyed watching piranha a lot i thought that it was clever i thought that it had good gags i thought it had good blood um and so i had a lot of fun but um that's that's just sort of my own personal preference but that's also steeped in again some of my own childhood nostalgia as well no for sure so it's also not 100 percent fair because someone saw piranha first yeah and so for some person out there piranha is their favorite and I totally get why it would be. This movie's gnarly. Um, not outstanding, not perfect, but it's a great time. Um, and so if you had to rank or, or rate Piranha out of five, what would you give it? Ah, uh, difficult. I'm going to give this movie, um, I'm going to give this movie a four and a half. Oh, okay. Very generous. Well, I've been heeing and hawing between a four and a four and a half, and I was like, well, if I'm if I'm dabbling with a four and a half, I might as well just go for it. Um, yeah, I think that this movie is, is really solid. Um, you know, obviously not all of it works all of the time, but it's it's a movie made in nineteen seventy eight. Like what do you expect? 
you know, you, you get what you get sometimes, but that doesn't mean that this is bad. It just yeah. has, you know, it has a little bit of age on it. Um, I was going somewhere between a three and a half and a four. Okay. Um, and I don't, I know that some people will think that that sounds like I don't like it. I legitimately love this movie. But it's also a B movie. Yeah. And so, like, I, I also, I guess, don't want to set, like, an unrealistic expectation on a certain level. Not that you were doing that. Um, but for me, that's just kind of where it lands. You know? Yeah. Like, just honestly, I think that's... But I mean, like, it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. For sure. I would also give, like, a three and a half probably to, like, one of the Transformers sequels. <laughs> and those things are still a blast, though. Exactly. And so, like... A three and a half for me is like a very honest, realistic. A three and a half to a four, because mm-hmm. honestly, I think that I think that a four isn't unfair. You I know, mean, I'm technically living... in, the, in the scale of of grades, a four is a B. Yeah, and so like that's kind of where I'm living. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's somewhere in that space because it is legitimately a B movie. You know, in every in every aspect of it. Um, and I think that maybe there, I think maybe this is the thing. I think that I'll go for the three and a half to four range instead of the four to four and a half range, just because I know that there are, even for the times, some ways that they were holding back in having fun mm-hmm. with the premise. And I think that that's where I'll I'll pull it back just that hair. Okay. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my original gut no, yeah, process. Yeah. Um, this... I would never ask you to 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 change your score at all. No, no, no. Well, you know that. Um, but honestly, like at the end of the day, like this movie is a four. <laughs> hey, if we're being completely honest. No, and and uh, how about we call it that then? Perfect. Okay. Um. Moving on, let's jump on into Piranha, Piranha 3D. 3D. Woo! So Piranha 3D was released August 20th, 2010. It's an hour, 28 minutes long. It is also rated R by the grace of God, I guess. <laughs> and it is directed by Alexandra... Aja, and it's written by Peter Goldfinger and Josh Stolberg. Um, the cast is Elizabeth Shue as Julie Forrester, Ving Rhames as Deputy Phelan, Christo- uh, Christopher Lloyd as uh, Carl Goodman, Jerry O'Connell as Derek James, Stephen R. McQueen as Jake Forrester, Jessica Jor, Jor. I should have looked up this pronunciation as well. Mm. I apologize. As Kelly, Kelly Brooke as Danny, and Adam Scott as Novak. The plot is. And and here's uh, since since I always just tag it on at the end, I'll I'll try and do the whole plot in in the voice. After a sudden underwater tremor sets free scores of prehistoric man-eating fish, 
an unlikely group of strangers must band together to stop them to stop themselves from becoming fish food for the area's new razor-teethed residents. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Jolly good. So, I'll go ahead and jump into this one. Okay. Where to begin? (laughs) You know, we watched the first one. Mm Mm-hmm. And I liked the first one a lot. And it was a B-movie, and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, horror remakes get a very bad reputation. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to handle the source material? And I think that the success of Piranha 3D is that... Um, It knew that the source material, ultimately, for this horror franchise particularly, was no sacred calf. (laughs) That's correct. The important thing for this franchise was to be bold, daring, a modern B-movie, to be graphic, to be intense, to be... Everything that that first movie was at that time, or even maybe was not all the way at that time, but could have been, and turn that shit up to 11, because it was now in a world where it was competing, Piranha now had to compete with Saw, and and all of these other insane franchises that were, were popping up at the time. And I think that this movie is one of the most batshit, banana balls, fucking exciting, hilarious, outrageous experiences I have had watching a movie in a long fucking time. And I think that this movie completely fucking nails everything that it wants to do and more. That is the facts. (laughs) This movie walked in, slapped the the director in the face and said, are you interested? And he said, hell yeah, I am. (laughs) Um, This movie was kick-ass. Yeah. (laughs) In the most ridiculous fashion. I absolutely loved this movie. This movie is Camp with a capital K. Um, It is phenomenal. And it is, there's nothing like it. And and that's really sad because I I will actually want more movies like this, just just across the, it's, the spectrum of horror. It's Paul Verhoeven does Jaws. Yeah, that's how I described it to my sister, and I stand by that that description. Oh, this yeah. is Paul Verhoeven does Jaws. This is um this is what the Jackass crew wanted their episode of Shark Week to be like. Yeah. And they failed epically because this is the this is actually it. Good old poopy. <laughs> he got bit by a shark and it is still less interesting than this movie. Um God. God, this movie has no, no shame. No. I okay, so I'm trying to really that that description is I guess accurate. At the core underneath all of this movie 
let's boil it down, I guess, on a technical level before we really get into the pandemonium, because I feel like I, I need to break it down in some sort of level before I can jump into the fact that it's just a fucking shit show. It's um, a, but it's the best kind of shit show. Underpinning the entire narrative at its core is a a story about this, you know, sort of family in peril coming back together, you know. The mom is distant, the brother is is an old idiot, an older brother idiot, you know, sort of figure. Um the kids think that they know better. But the movie also ultimately decides that you know these types, you know these tropes, and we are going to play those tropes like a fiddle in favor of instead of any pretense of caring about this, give you enough of it and give you the right actors giving you the right emotions during those moments that we can instead make the movie about belligerent spectacle. Mm -hmm. And that moment in um, Jurassic World where all of the flying predators are let loose on the park. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one chick, uh, the, 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 the assistant. Yeah, gets, like, picked up and, like, dropped in the water. And fucked up entirely. This whole movie's spirit... Is that moment. Is that... Is that entire scene, and that moment in particular, just turned all the way up to 11 with an R rating, and it belligerently says, fuck you if you don't like it, because it's going to give it to you all of the time, and it's going to continue to turn it up. With each, which each iteration, each man. fucking scene. It's and so it funny. is incredible. It's I've never seen a movie more committed to having so much fucking sex and violence all in one fucking package. No, yeah, I mean, like, the only movie that, like, I can compare that I had, like, a genuinely this much fun watching it and it was, like, a horrifying mess was the, um, the new Texas Chainsaw movie. Oh! I, it was just, it was, it was graphic, it was stupid, and it was right up my alley. And it alley was belligerent. Up, it, was it was so belligerent. And it was having too much fun, and it knew exactly what jokes to pull for me to, to, <sighs> to tickle my funny bone, and that was this movie exactly for me. Um, and, like, it played certain moments so dead straight, like, Wes Anderson deadpan sort of flat. No, it was serious. And it was stupid. Oh! And it would, it just doesn't, because also, like, we've got a lot of great talent in this movie right now. A lot of, like, very classic funny people, you know. We've got Elizabeth Shue, we've got Jerry O'Connell, we've got fucking Adam Scott, you know. We've got all these people who are hysterical uh, comedians now getting to play like very serious but still outrageous characters with all of them you know well and um you know i was i was talking to madeline recently about um horror and comedy Mm -hmm. and ultimately there's only one critical difference between horror and comedy and it's It's consequence oh okay well violence Comedy has plenty of violence. Mm-hmm. You look at Bugs Bunny. Oh, okay, that's what you mean by consequence. I understand. Plenty of violence in Bugs Bunny. No consequence. You look at Charlie Chaplin. There is constantly death-defying acts, 
risking of life and limb, potential for violence, but there is ultimately never consequence. Yeah, nobody gets hurt. Everybody's fine. Horror. You could have just as exaggerated and grand of a character, you know, just as much of a caricature Mm -hmm. as comedy allows, but there is consequence. However, horror comedy... I think comes around to a weird place of saying, what if we then cranked that consequence so far around that it almost circles back on being funny again? Well, yeah, because also there are so many deaths in this movie that never actually, one, are are physically possible. Or meaningful (laughs) emotionally. But they are huge, they are graphic, and you know exactly what's going to happen, and then they amp it up the next bit. You know, like, oh, God. I was certain, for one example, without giving too much away, we won't give away what the real thing is, I was certain that one person was going to be beheaded. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is not what happened. No. (laughs) They found a left turn to be shocking. Yeah. Um, And again, make it that absurdist level of gratuitous consequence that it circles back on being funny. Kind of like Happy Tree Friends. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I told mom, I was talking with mom on the the drive uh, to work. It's almost like some of the violence of Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. You know, in some of the bloodbath moments of Rick and Morty, where it just goes truly cartoonish. But these are real people. But these are real people, and so you get these great... You also... Let me also put this out there. And I, this is also, I think, where they're tapping into the Joe Dante spirit mm-hmm. of the original. We've got great prop bodies. Oh, yeah. We've got great prop fish. We have got great blood splatter. We have got fantastic effects all of the time. Oh, 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 oh. And this and this movie has just like the kiss of being made in the early 20 teens. Mm-hmm. It just it just kisses all over it because um there are times when this movie does not blend well when it comes from the the re- reality and um the CG world. Um, there is a line, there is a barrier, and it is apparent, and it is hilarious. Um, but I think that they also know that, like, they they just have to go with it. No, yeah, and, like, there's nothing that they can do about that, and, like, some things are a little hokey, but I think that that also ties back into the original, just, like, the, this, this whole concept. This is what we have. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're gonna di- you're gonna deal with it. I love the fact that they also found a different way to bring the piranha into the situation and from I, the original. Yeah, yeah, and it, and I did, and I you know as a viewer I went totally okay. Yeah, you know I was like this is also what somebody would probably think would happen. You know, it's this subterranean cave, a la almost. Um, every version of kong where they're like there's a they're the other kongs in the in the inner world verse um but it's it's this cave that the the you know opens up and these these prehistoric piranha from the before four times come out and are and are the worst kind of piranha that have ever existed and it's and it's absolutely fantastic um this movie has christopher lloyd playing classic christopher lloyd in it 
amazing. You, you can't have so many funny people in this movie and not think that it's supposed to be a comedy. Yeah. You know? Um, it's, it's also not afraid of, of nudity at all, but I think that it is perfectly put into this universe because it is also set around, like, spring break. Yeah. You know, spring break, girls gone wild, this kind of energy. Of course, then, in this situation, we would have gratuitous nudity because it's a bunch of people drinking and partying and having a good time. It's Bacchanalia in every level. Yes, yes, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel out of place whenever you see it, you know, and it's never, like, it's not too much, but it's also, you know, it's appropriate. Well, and and also I think that um, sex and violence are always so conflated together mm-hmm. because of ultimately the intimacy of both. Well, yeah, um, it's it's not like um, it's not like shooting somebody at a distance, you know. Like you are a part of that situation, but like that other person isn't. Whereas, like with sex, like with most horror violence, it is like I've got an instrument that is probably sharp of some nature and I am coming towards you with it. Or I'm coming at you with something else, but we're here. I can I can touch you. Well, and I think that also sex has the potential to be both upsetting and funny. Oh, I mean, that's also that's also completely fair as well. Sex is sometimes just funny. <clears throat> You know, there's just no no getting around it. Um, And so, like, I think that um, you you also just, I think, when you're having an experience like this, the conflation of sex and violence and comedy and personality also being portrayed through all of these opportunities Mm -hmm. also help these characters paint with their nice big broad brushes of what their character is in all of these moments. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and literally it's, it's as full of sex and violence, like I said, as a Paul Verhoeven movie, as Starship Troopers, as, as Showgirls. And honestly, I think just as, just as perfectly balanced and, um, you know, um, just this, this appropriate amount of like not giving a fuck about nudity, but also knowing that like there is a limit as well, and we can't just have people walking around naked in our entire movie and like call that it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would lose its luster. We have to we have to sneak it in here and there in order for it to still be titillating and still be interesting. Every everything is a narrative weapon. Exactly. Yeah. If you are a filmmaker, everything is a narrative weapon at your disposal. There is no thing that you can't pull out. Everything from a paper cut to nudity mm-hmm. to a mass shooting, everything on that spectrum is a weapon to pull out and use the correct way mm-hmm. to convey something. Yeah, no, yeah, because um, without without direction behind the the idea it's it's just something thrown at the wall and you hope that it sticks but you you... know what that kind of helps land a little bit more of that whole idea of everything everywhere all at once ah Mm -hmm. see there we go everything is a narrative weapon Mm -hmm. um but no i just this movie was just an absolute blast i haven't cackled this hard since Barb and Star since Barb and Star honestly like this movie just had me crying laughing like my stomach hurt after this movie because it was just such a good time (laughs) we literally didn't watch anything I personally 
didn't want to watch another thing because I knew that I had already watched the best thing that I was going to watch I tonight. I peaked. It was so good. And like, obviously, obviously, as, as all movies should have, you know, this movie is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you enjoy something that is stupid funny, then you, then you will enjoy this movie because also not the whole, the whole thing isn't stupid. There's a lot of like really interesting character work happening. And they know how to shortcut Mm -hmm. everything they've got their actor chorus and they've got their 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 ridiculous comedian chorus and we've got we've got our serious and we've got our funny and they never cross paths they do not go back over Mm -mm. you know and it is it's it's perfect they they all do a a smashing job the Mm -hmm. entire time and they set up the dominoes quickly yeah. They do a really fast job of setting up where everything is going to go, and then they just go, boom. Within yeah. 10 to 15 minutes, this thing is cooking. So, will I recommend this movie to Fuck a lot yeah. of people? <laughs> Hell yes, I will, because everybody needs to watch this movie. Do I think everyone will like it? No. No. But everyone should just go on a journey for a movie that ultimately, I'm a Astounded it's not NC-17. No, honestly, honestly. I'm floored. Especially for the time period that it came out in. Sweet God. Oh my God, people saw this movie in theaters. There's, and I, I I won't give any more information than this, but people went to this movie, saw it in theaters, and were treated to, in three fucking D... A 20-foot-long fucking dick on the screen. (laughs) Once you put it on a fucking movie screen. No, I know. It's just the way you said it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, they really just fucking went for this thing in full, man. No, yeah. And it's it's insane. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be 20 feet on your TV. No. But, you know. But back when this thing came out, if you saw it on the biggest screen possible, there was a fucking 20-foot dick in the third fucking dimension. The third fucking dimension. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the glasses, because of the movie. (laughs) I understand. So. Um. (laughs) A child would have been like, I can touch it. Oh, God. No, so. <laughs> no child was in this movie. And if you were the person who brought your child to this movie, you shouldn't have that child anymore. <laughs> the courts should take it. If your child is hardcore enough to see this movie, I think your child is just a reincarnated spirit. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. If your child could handle this, like, I think that you just had a 40-year-old in there. No, um, <laughs> but also, that this isn't, you, you're not taking your child to this movie unless you're a bad parent, so, regardless of whether or not that child is ready for it. Um, this movie is R with a capital X. Yeah. Um, so, real quickly, before we do rate the movie overall, where would you put the original Piranha and Piranha 3D on our heat index. Um, okay, so... Of, the, what is it? Heat to, uh, do the right thing? Yes. Is our currently 1 to 10? Yes. Um, I think that the original movie... Um, I think that the original movie probably sits, like, right in the middle ground for me. I was gonna give it a 6. Mm-hmm. 
kind of like where the surfing movie was for me a little Six, bit. Six, seven, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, because I don't think that it's ever like, it's it's definitely summer and it's It's def- never palpably hot. Yeah, you can't tell that they're like actually hot. You know, everybody mm-hmm. looks really comfortable. I think some people are wearing long sleeves in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, he's running around in a suit. Yeah. The, so. the park owner. So, um, I think, yeah, I'm going to put it, like, right there around, like, a six. Sounds good. Um, whereas Piranha 3D, um, I don't know. Eight? Yeah, because it's definitely not as hot. It's not Do the Right Thing. No, nothing is as hot as Do the Right Thing, just because of the fact that Do the Right Thing is, is, is talking about the heat in, like, every aspect of it. Like, it's a perfect trilogy of, like, the, the definitions of heat that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, but this movie was definitely, like you know piping hot as well mm-hmm. you know muy caliente of a of a movie just because of like you know you had all the hot bods were added into this one yeah. more so than um i mean hot bots were a part of do the right thing but you know it's only one hot bot honestly that's right in question it's rosie perez that's right it is rosie perez and it was a hot bod and this movie has hot bodies in it because it has a lot of porn stars in it that's yeah. right i said it <laughs> If you know, you know, Miss mm-hmm. President. Um, That's right. And so, yeah, I uh, I think that those are all fair. Uh, and so, if you had to rate it out of five, what would you give it? Uh, this movie is so great. Um, I'm gonna purely because I I loved the hell out of this movie. It was a fun time. Um, this movie is a five for me. Yeah, solid five. Five like, out of five it's there's no notes this this is what i'll think of when i'm like oh people want to watch a horror comedy movie this is the... it's right up there with cabin in the woods man yeah honestly it's i laughed more at this than cabin in the woods no because also again this thing is perfectly balanced in camp <sighs> camp no, is really important it. They had it so dialed in. People don't understand what camp looks like. This is camp. Welcome to it. Um, this is camp camp. It's right up there with Drag Me to Hell. Oh, God. Or the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah, this was like, like the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah. Uh, no. Perfect shit. So good. So good. Uh, Fucking five out of five, man. Absolutely killed me. Mm. Haven't. M- massacred on a certain level the original. Oh, yeah, it's a completely different flavor, but also, like, it's a completely they, different uh, times. And and that that is, thankfully, the blessing, is that they are, like, radically different flavors. Yeah, so, like, I can enjoy both of these movies without having to be like, oh... Also, also, I was gonna mention this earlier, I think that Piranha 3D is a better remake of the actual Jaws. Yes! That the, the original Piranha is said yes. to be. I think that this is more of a Jaws movie, because we even end with, like... A boat sinking. Smile, you son of a bitch. You yeah, know, it's, it's the boat explosion. Oh my gosh, when he was, when he was shooting the water. <laughs> they tased the water. They tased. He had a shotgun and was shooting piranha <laughs> in the water. <laughs> it was absolutely absurd. It was fantastic. Oh, <laughs> god damn. I love uh, this movie. Ving Rames, thank you so much for being in this. He does perfect. Oh. Um, oh everyone does. Fantastic. Um, so I guess for our final uh, little bit of discussion, uh, what we've watched lately, what we're watching, uh, the only thing we've seen lately is Nope. Um, which is... Oh my gosh, I didn't put that on the list. I need to put that one down. Incredible. 
I won't say too much more about it, um, but I definitely suggest everyone go and see Nope, especially if you love Jordan Peele. I think that this is a great one. I may go and write something up about it. Um, go and and watch Nope, especially in theaters. See it on the biggest screen that you can. Um, yeah, do that, honestly, because it's it's really just like an epic movie. Um, because it, it's, it's, you know, set in the... the it's set on a farm, so, like, it's just land and space. And, like, I think, yeah, to your point, seeing it on a really big screen would, like, be even more impactful, you know, for that just scale of everything. Yeah. We saw it on the IMAX screen. It was great that way. Mm-hmm. Horrifying stuff. Truly, truly. Um, that's about all that we've watched lately. Um, as far as news... SDCC happened this weekend, San Diego Comic-Con, um, which is a big, you know, annual press event. Uh, you know, it started out as a comic convention, but eventually became a premier spot for comic book movies, and then eventually just sort of broad brush here, geek culture movies at large to premiere. Um, uh, Twilight has been... A, San Diego Comic-Con. Um, uh, Silicon Valley, if I'm not mistaken, has been at San Diego Comic-Con. Westworld, The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad. Uh, loads of stuff, you know, has, has appeared there. And so they had their convention this last weekend. Um, the big things, of course, were Marvel's big announcements, which include... Two Avengers movies coming out in the same year. Uh, they unveiled their whole lineup for Phase 5 and also revealed that Phase 4 is just kind of done. Um, but what's also interesting is in their Phase 4 lineup was not um, Spider-Man No Way Home. And um, There was another one that was also not technically a part of the lineup. Wasn't it I'm, the new... Um, Moon Knight! Yes! Moon Knight was also not listed as being a part of that uh, phase four phase four lineup. So I don't know what that means. Um, I don't really, I guess at the end of the day, care. But it is something that I noticed and went, I wonder what they're going to say about that, if anything. Or if anyone else really noticed. So far, I haven't seen anyone else talk about the fact that they didn't seem addressed in any way. It's because people are so overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the entity at this point that, you know, of course things are slipping through the cracks. How else can you, you actually live your, your nine to five work day and also like have a life? You, you can't keep up with all of this crap Marvel's spewing out. No, that's fair. Um, the John Wick trailer came out. I was less interested until I saw the trailer and then I said, God damn it, you guys hooked me. Oh my god, yeah, right? Yeah, it looks great. I was like, uh, I don't know if I want another one of these. Then I saw the trailer and I was like, no, uh, this is exactly what the fuck I need right it looks now. looks bitchin'. It looks so good. Keanu so, looks great. Congrats, you sons of fucking bitches. Your marketing worked. Uh, every single time. <laughs> every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. That's right. Um. So... 
those are some of the big ones. Of course, um, going back to Marvel, of course, the Black Panther trailer came out. Mm-hmm. Um, never trust a Marvel trailer is a good rule of thumb, though. Um, but I'll say this. I think that it had a nice emotional heft that I wasn't sure that I was really expecting. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that movie is almost as cursed as the Flash movie is. Um, I think that it's less flirt, uh, cursed than the Flash movie, if only um, because, you know, Chadwick left us in... In Grace and Dignity. And and who knows what's happening with Ezra. No, so. That's fair. Uh, So... That's kind of where I stand with with some of that. Um, The new She-Hulk trailer didn't wow me. Um, They announced, of course, also the new Daredevil TV show. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they really dominated. The other things that happened were the Black Adam and the Shazam trailers, which I haven't watched yet. Um, But that's some of the big stuff that came out of Hall H, as they say. Um, how did how did you feel about I guess the the Marvel announcements overall? Any particular care or concern? Anything catch your eye? Oh God, um, uh, I'm interested in the Black Panther movie. But that's just because Black Panther. Well, yeah, and it's only the second one that we've gotten. You know, they haven't they haven't completely milked this cow for for all it's worth yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm also interested because I, I I enjoyed the first one a lot. Um, you know, and of the things that Marvel has put out lately, it looks like the the most serious thing in a while. Like, and everything most... just seems like a comedy nowadays. Or or just not... Just not taking it ser- Even if it's serious, it doesn't feel like it's really doing anything of weight. No, yeah, you know, it doesn't mean anything anymore. I'm not I'm not in, as excited about seeing this as, like, the idea of watching, like, the first Avenger, you know, where you're like, ah, oh, this movie looks like it's gonna do something. Like, I'm not, I don't feel that way about really any of the shows that are coming out right now. Um, you know, I know that they're just building for another thing, or they're not, and they have no plan, but that's all, that's all, that's how it feels to me. It feels like they have no plan, that they're grasping at straws, and they're literally like, crap, we killed off our, our cash cows, let's, let's dig deep into the Marvel fandoms and find some other characters, pull them up, and see which one will be our new Captain yeah. America figure, I you mean, know, our next, you know, put them on the lunchbox. I mean, honestly, um... Phase four, I think, ultimately, um, maybe this is a controversial opinion, I don't know. I think ultimately phase four is less successful than phase two, the previous worst Marvel Cinematic phase. Well, because at least two gets to three, and three is interesting. Um, what is four doing? What is four doing? What the, what the hell is four doing? Bad table setting. Yeah. Messy table setting. And, like, fucking Thor Love and Thunder is super controversial right now. People either love it or they hate it. Like, where are the slam dunks? Where's the one that everybody can't stop talking about? Yeah. It, it doesn't exist anymore. It's because they don't... They're trying to churn these things out faster than they can get, you know, any opinions about it that are worth a damn. Yeah. You know? People in the big wig seats are just saying, hey, you know... I'll sign anything that has a Marvel logo on it because Marvel has made me X amount of money over the past 20 years. Yeah. It doesn't have to be good anymore. It doesn't have to be interesting. It just has to be content and it has to be a lot of it. Yeah. 
Uh, but that's pretty much all that we have for y'all. Um, be sure to go and check out all of our previous July content. Definitely check out last week, but check out all of our stuff. Come back next month when we start back to school month. Woohoo! Uh, and also there will be a newsletter going out this weekend, uh, so definitely go and sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already. Uh, dear, do you have anything else that you would like to say to the listeners? Um, um what? Uh, no, go ahead. <laughs> Um, what do I want to say to the listeners? Um, thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks for, for coming back. If you, if you have come back, thanks for, um, stopping by if this is your first time. Um, yeah, you know, every, every listen is a, is a little victory. Um, but we'd love to, to make that separation between us a little bit smaller. So why don't you take out your, 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 your typing fingers and you open up your your laptop ado and you just write us up a, a question and and you send that to the filmbuds at gmail.com yeah uh thanks as always for listening you guys we'll catch you again next week bye, bye.